0: Welcome to the How Great Events Happen podcast. I'm Cody. And I'm Brooke. And we're coming to you today from our respective home offices in Portland, Oregon.
1: Well, we've got some awesome news coming from CVET, don't we, Brooke?
0: We sure do. As you may already know, our annual user conference, CVET Connect, is all about bringing people together for incredible live experiences. But even though we're not meeting in person this summer, Cvent believes in the power of live. So we're excited to announce Cvent Connect Virtual.
1: That's right. This two day event taking place August 25th through the 26th. We'll give you the opportunity to hear directly from industry leaders, such as Cvent CEO and founder Reggie Agarwal, and attend any of our 28 live breakout sessions, discussing everything from virtual and hybrid events, to safety and security, to event marketing and program strategy for when in-person events resume.
0: We'll also be hosting virtual meetups and appointments with both Cvent and some of our industry partners. And Cody, you want to know what the best part is? What? What? It's all at no cost to event and hospitality professionals.
1: What, free? That's amazing. I can't wait for the entire meetings and events community to come together. Make sure to secure your spot today by registering at cvent.com slash podcast and click on the Cvent Connect banner.
0: I cannot wait. Cvent Connect Virtual is coming to everyone this August 25th through 26th. That's CVent.com slash podcast, and click on the CVent Connect banner to register for free today. Today we have Tim Jones, Director of Corporate Travel with CVent to talk to us about his predictions with corporate travel in the not so distant future.
1: Yeah, that's right. He comes with a wealth of knowledge and has some predictions about the phase approach that we're all about to experience.
0: So let's go ahead and get to that interview with Tim.
1: All right, Tim. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Uh, Can you briefly just tell us a little bit about how you became the Director of Corporate Travel at Cvent?
2: Uh, Sure, Cody. I uh, was working as Director of Client Services at a large travel management company uh, that actually is in the same area uh, as Cvent. uh, And I saw the opportunity posted to uh, become the Director of Corporate Travel. It looked very interesting. I was familiar with Cvent's uh, products and offerings. Uh, you know, we use them quite a bit at the TMC I was employed with. So I thought, why not take the opportunity? And here we are. And it's and it's been an adventure uh, so far. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a pretty awesome place to work. We're super glad to have you on the team. And I understand you've been in the industry for like thirty plus years. And I have to imagine. You probably haven't seen anything quite like what we're experiencing right now, especially with corporate travel. What makes this current situation so different?
2: Uh, and you're exactly right, Brooke. Uh, you know, being in the industry, you know, like many of my colleagues, we've been in the industry for many, many years. You know, I've been in the industry for 30 years. And throughout that time, there have been many events, you know, obviously September 11th, a variety of diseases, previously SARS, uh, H1N1, Ebola, all of these different things. Uh, and each of those had a different response. Um, but for the most part, each of those events was relatively short-lived um, and travel came back quickly. Nothing uh, in my recollection, that lasted months and months and months, and you know had such a buildup that this event did. Um, the the big uh, difference, I think, is that there were really uh, known. Uh, antidotes, if you will, for all of those different situations. So for example, the different terrorist related situations, uh, the solution to that is increased security or changing uh, procedures at the airport or check-in or uh, with documentation or you know, the creation of TSA and so forth. Uh, and travelers you know responded well to those quick adjustments and and went back to traveling. And even with some of the previous uh, diseases, um, they weren't as widespread, uh, you, you know. I think they were much more concentrated. Uh, there was different efforts to contain them, uh, and everyone essentially went about their way. You know, this is different in that it spread across the globe relatively quickly. Uh, you know, so there was essentially no place on Earth that was really immune to this particular event. Uh, the disease has proven very efficient at transmission. Uh, you know obviously airplanes and and cruise ships and such uh, you know were highlighted in the news uh, for being places that uh, you know people were weary about uh, going because of possibility of the transmission. um so it's it's been very different. and you know obviously the fact that there's not a um, a vaccine or a uh, a treatment as of yet um, I, I think plays into why this is so different as far as traveler perception.
1: Yeah, I mean that's it right there. I think that if we did have some kind of vaccine, we'd be able to have a a, a go forward plan, but I do want to tap into your experience sure. because without, you know, not ev- in my experience too, everything isn't always 100% positive or 100% negative, negative. and I imagine that there are some potential benefits that are happening right now. Can you talk about some of the things that you might predict that could be beneficial in the current situation?
2: I, I certainly think uh, there are going to be some beneficial outcomes. Now, obviously, the the situation is is not what anyone in, uh, in any way wanted. It's obviously a very horrible situation. Many people have lost their lives and uh, lost jobs and that type of thing. Um, but I do think there are some uh, potential positive outcomes long term for this. I think a renewed sense uh, on a on, from a traveler perspective, a renewed sense of uh, hygiene and cleanliness, uh, you know, will stay with our psyche for a lot longer than potentially, you know, previous diseases or outbreaks. Uh, and I think that's a good thing. You know, obviously, um, when you travel, when you go to get your vaccines, you know, the traditional, uh, you know, hepatitis and typhoid and get your malaria pills and that type of thing, you usually are given, um, guidance to make sure that you wash your hands don't drink the water in certain countries make sure you wash certain fruits and vegetables when you're in other countries and I think that uh, that practice becomes a lot uh, more laxed than it should be you know people get very comfortable things are going great travel was you know booming essentially uh, hotels airlines cruise ships all were were full of people for many, many years, and I think some of those cleanliness habits amongst travelers um, probably uh, fall by the wayside. So I think this is obviously a wake-up call for that, and I think that is a good thing. You know, making sure travelers are are taking advantage of best practices for cleanliness, that type of thing. But I also think it is. Um, Going to be good for travelers uh, from the vendor perspective. So, airlines, car rental companies, hotel chains, that type of thing will also be more vigilant with their cleanliness standards. You know, the hotel room that you go into will probably be as clean as it's ever been in the future. Airline seats will be, you know, much more thoroughly clean than they have been in the past. So, I think those things are certainly uh, benefits as to. You know, compare them to what the same product was uh, previously. You know, the, the unfortunate thing in this situation is obviously, uh, uh, you know, aside from the loss of life, a significant downturn in business for the travel industry. Um, so what has happened in the past in those situations is in order to lower travelers back, uh, there's a renewed focus on customer service. And I think we will start to see that you know at some point in the future right now i think most of the efforts are still focused on cleanliness and disease prevention Um, but when those um, restrictions are relaxed by the government authorities around the world i think airlines hotel chains cruise companies that type of thing are certainly going to put a lot of effort into reassuring travelers that it's safe i think there'll be a renewed effort to lure travelers back with Different incentives, whether it's improved service, um, you know, whether there are uh, beneficial pricing deals in the future or not, I, I think remains to be seen. You know, there's certainly multiple schools of thought on that. Obviously, if social distancing is a requirement, um, you know, the the fear is that pricing might actually have to be higher than previously um, thought, just because there's less people you might be able to put on a plane or less people in a hotel. Uh, and so forth but i i think customer service i think cleanliness i think all of these have uh, certainly the potential to be improved in the future
0: so cleaner more customer focused travel like this i can get behind you know it sounds like you know, there could be a little silver lining to this and we know that recovery is inevitable right like Corporate travel is going to eventually resume. So how do you think that that's going to happen? Because it's not like we're just going to turn on the switch, right, and everything's going to be back to normal. How do you see this kind of phased approach?
2: I think it definitely will be a phased approach, not just in travel, but I think life in general, you know, the, the term we keep hearing is phased approach. Um, whether it's simple trip to the store or you know, barbershop, that type of thing is all, uh, phased approach. Um, so travel, I, I don't think will be any different. Um, I think, honestly, in this particular scenario, leisure travel will bounce back first. You know, there is a lot of uh, interest that has started to uh, materialize on behalf of consumers, you know, for what they're going to do for the, the post-COVID world. I think a lot of people, you um, might still have an apprehension to travel, but I think there's also a lot of people who uh, as soon as it is safe to do so are ready to start traveling again. And it has been reassuring that uh, some recent uh, news stories or releases from travel companies indicate that there is consumer demand that is uh, potentially going to be there. So, uh, for example, in the US uh, one of the large travel management companies uh, recently uh, released some statistics, and it said that uh, people are starting to search for leisure travel uh, opportunities in the fall and early uh, autumn, winter of, of this year. Um, travel, I think, is going to be very different uh, in, from the leisure perspective. Uh, you hear these so-called uh, travel bubbles, or what essentially is regional travel, I think is going to be the norm. So, for example, if you're in the U.S., uh, the the searches for travel have been uh, pretty much focused on Hawaii. You know, there's certainly potentially will be a renaissance for Hawaii, uh, Mexico, some of the Mexican resorts, uh, Las Vegas, Orlando, and Denver. You know, are all some of the top searches currently for leisure travel. And where I think that starts to to spill over to corporate travel or or in particular meeting and event travel. Um, are the uh, is the interest in Las Vegas and Orlando? Those are obviously um, very big meeting and event and convention cities. So I find that personally reassuring, you know. Obviously, from a perspective here at SeaVent, you know that the cities that host a large portion of meetings and events, um, you know, is of immediate interest to travelers. Uh, so I think those cities certainly have an opportunity to. Uh, make the most of a situation as leisure travel starts to return to those places. Obviously, they'll have a lot of practice with developing new procedures, whether it's social distance distancing or cleanliness or, uh, you know, just making alterations to how casinos work or uh, how resorts work in, in Orlando. Um, but also those large convention hotels will have practice on, uh, you know, how to operate, you know, for lack of a better term in the new world you know and you're certainly hearing these terms more and more and you know i think people to some degree are probably um fatigued from hearing the new world and the new normal and terms such as that Um, but i think we are going to have to tolerate it for uh you know some time but i think those cities have a unique opportunity and i think that the uh, opportunity for them if they're successful uh, you know, obviously businesses will see consumer confidence returning. They'll see that travelers are safely uh, traveling to those cities. I think meetings and events will uh, start to slowly come back. Uh, you know, the, the big question is what sort of restrictions will there be for those, whether, again, it's social distancing or new cleanliness regulations or other other processes that will have to be followed. And then, of course, corporate travel, I think, will will be mixed in with the, the conventions and meetings and events. Um, I think the the big challenge on all of those aspects is going to be uh, customer tolerance. You know, right now, I think people are starting to get antsy from being uh, locked down. You know, cabin fever, I think, is certainly starting to materialize across uh, not just the U.S., but I think in in many other countries. So I think there will be some pent-up demand, but I also... Uh, think that travelers need to be realistic in their expectations, whether it's leisure travel or corporate travel, um, things are going to be different, at least at the beginning. You know, Will we have to wear a mask on the airplane or in hotels or uh, in common space? And I think the real success of how quickly travel comes back is how tolerant we as travelers are of uh, what will be required. If everyone starts to get used to wearing masks, um, and maybe that uh, practice will stay on for some time. Then uh, if that's what allows travel to start up again, I think people will take advantage of it and just get used to it. You know, there's many cultures around the world that have actually uh, been used to wearing face masks uh, for quite some time, many, many years. Uh, it's actually been a common sight in many countries across Asia, you know, walking down the street, just in, in common sight are, are You know, half the people are wearing face masks. You know, in some cases it's for disease, some cases it's for pollution. Um, You know, there are many different reasons, but, you know, obviously as a culture, they've adapted to accept it. And I I think the big question is whether the world in general is, uh, you know, certainly going to be willing to do that. And our willingness to accept some of those limitations are what is is going to determine the success of the, the efforts to restart travel
1: yeah I mean you're absolutely right i mean the 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 idea of wearing masks to protect yourself is not something new. There are certain Asian cultures that have been doing that for a long time, well before the covid nineteen um, and and to go back to what you said, I really like what you were you were saying about um potentially Hawaii having a new renaissance. I think that people are going to be more comfortable with traveling maybe more domestically but still get that you know, travel bug in the, out of their system and and seeing like a tropical location that's still within the United States. Um, I'm thinking that's what I'm going to do personally. But you know, the only way to get to Hawaii is by an airplane. And I know the airlines were hit super hard during the pandemic. So what predictions would you have, um, you know, for major airlines? And, and how would that reshape travel?
2: Uh, unfortunately, I think it, it is very difficult uh, to, to even make predictions uh, for the airline industry. The airline industry is obviously going through um, what I think is universally accepted as probably the most difficult time in their entire history, and that includes September 11th. Uh, you know, Some of the press releases related to corporate earnings, whether it's uh, airlines or hotel chains, uh, the, the common theme seems to be that if you combined September 11th with, you know, the 2008-2009 economic downturn, as well as some of the other recent events, you combine all of those together and this is still a much more significant impact. Uh, The unfortunate thing is you see uh, with almost, uh, you know, alarming frequency every few days, uh, a new airline has declared bankruptcy you know, over the weekend, a major car rental chain declared bankruptcy. I think, unfortunately, at some point, maybe one of the hotel brands would probably do the same. So I think for the foreseeable future, there is going to be some turmoil in travel in general, not just airlines. Uh, I, I think the governments around the world are doing what they can to either participate in the bankruptcy process by providing loan guarantees or grants or uh, you know, some sort of other financial assistance that will help the carriers survive the bankruptcy process, restructure their debt, restructure their uh, employee account and employee benefits and, and you know, payroll, et cetera. Et cetera. Uh, but I think that process is going to take some time. You know, the bankruptcy process, you know, for an airline is uh, usually a, a several month process, you know, you know, up to even potentially a year, 18 month process, uh, depending on how large the carrier is, how much uh, debt they have. Um, and I, I think it's going to be uh, a very difficult process uh, for all parties involved. So obviously there are going to be employee reductions um, probably at, at most, if not all of the airlines around the world, not just in the U.S. You know, this is truly a worldwide event. So I think you know, each country has its own specific challenges uh, and no country is immune to that. You know, you've seen airlines from all corners of the globe file for their equivalent of bankruptcy uh, protection um, in cases uh, where the government has the means to assist, they've been doing so. In some cases, the government uh, body of that country uh, is choosing not to provide any sort of assistance. And I I certainly think that will make uh, a big impact as to which of these carriers survive. I think it is um, very likely that not all of the carriers will survive. Uh, I think that can be said of any component of the travel industry. Um, You know, obviously it's going to be, um, a, a very painful lesson in the, the strong survive, you know, survival of the fittest. Um, I think that has the potential, like we talked about earlier, to be beneficial in some ways. You know, I think the hope is that whatever companies, you know, are able to navigate through this time, come out of the situation stronger, both financially uh, and from a perspective. Uh, a perspective all the way around you know they come out stronger for their employees stronger for customers um, stronger for their vendors and suppliers but i think it is going to be uh, certainly a very challenging road Um, but obviously uh, having worked in the industry for so long i i think that we will survive it i i'm certain of that it's just a matter of what the industry uh, will need to do to adapt and the industry has always found a way to adapt i don't think this will be any different. It will just be uh, potentially more challenging, but uh, you know the, the employees in this industry are very dynamic. We've all been through uh, many different scenarios. Obviously, like I said earlier, none of us have seen something quite like this, um, but uh, I think we will come out of it uh, and we'll come out of it potentially stronger
0: love the message of hope tim um it really is uh inspiring and you know i know we're all looking forward to getting back out there doing some travel but i have to imagine you know the whole social distancing right it's not going to go away so once we start getting some of that traction back to the new normal how do you think that social distancing is going to play a part in our travel habits i guess what i'm asking tim is are the middle seats going to be open on all the airlines now
2: so well, that's you know obviously a, a, a very interesting point, and it's been debated hotly from both sides. You know there are uh, many people that are pro- proposing that obviously we need to forever change the way we do everything—not just travel, uh, whether it's shopping at the store, whether it's travel, or just the way we live our daily lives. Um, you know I I, I think it, it is certainly an eye opening challenge and opportunity at the same time uh and you know our ceo reggie uh you know i, I agree 100 percent with his uh comments that i think it is human nature i completely agree with him that it's human nature that we want to meet um, whether that's for a formal business meeting or convention or just a, a small family gathering i think human nature is what's going to drive travel is we all like traveling. We want to go somewhere different and experience a new culture, something different, new food, new people, new language. Um, But we also like familiar. We want to go visit friends and family and do the things that we're currently not able to do. Um, uh, As we've been saying, I think there are going to be some challenges. You know, so whether the restrictions stay in place for a long time or whether they become permanent, uh, whether that's face masks, uh, requiring some sort of social distancing. I think it will be, um, you know, very interesting to see how we as humans adapt. And that's not, again, unique to any specific country, but just us as as, as a people, you know, the, the people around the world, we all have um, different, uh, perspectives on this, and you know, one of the things in my past that I've uh, been trained on is cultural differences. And in each culture, there are different accepted standards for social distancing. You know, there, there are many cultures in the world that you know you stand right next to each other when you're having a conversation, and then there are other cultures that you uh, you know the polite thing to do is is to stand further apart. So the fact that social distancing might be required, whether from a health perspective or from a regulation perspective, you know that's going to have an impact on those uh, social norms. Some of which have been in place for many decades, many centuries, even. You know, you, you become uh, it's part of the culture. Um, you know, many cultures in Europe, the traditional greeting was a hug, and maybe even you know, a kiss on the cheek. Uh, you know, other cultures, it's a handshake. Um, I think that some things potentially might go away permanently. For example, the handshake. Uh, there's been many stories that the handshake, you know, might never return. It might, it might become taboo from a health perspective from this point forward. Uh, and a lot of companies from a professional standpoint, and I think a lot of individuals, uh, might go the route of adapting the bow or a namaste uh, you know, greetings. Uh, And I think that, you know, those type of things might certainly work their way into cultures where they weren't traditionally prevalent, Um, which, you know, again, isn't a bad thing. I think, you know, that's just something different. You're still showing the same respect, the same camaraderie. It's just in a different way than you're used to. So I think that greetings and those type of things will remain part of our culture, but I do think they potentially are going to become different. Uh, As far as travel, that's, uh, you know, what we're talking about. That's going to be a a real challenge. So the middle seat conversation, for example, um, obviously from a perspective of disease prevention, uh, you know, it's easy to look at it and say from a disease prevention point of view, uh, maybe we need spacing. But in all reality, leaving the middle seat doesn't provide the six feet of spacing that is the current guidance, you know, the the seats are essentially only 18 inches across 17 or 18 inches across. So that's only a foot and a half uh, space between the window and the aisle seat. Um, So that doesn't even meet the requirement. I think the middle seat concept is is um, great from a uh, comfort point of view. A lot of passengers will certainly feel more comfortable from that perspective, but whether it actually is achieving anything medically or scientifically, you know, I think that is uh, certainly still being studied. Um, but then the other side of that sort of ties into what we were talking about a moment ago, and that is the, the financial element. Uh, the unfortunate thing is, you know, planes were designed to seat a certain number of passengers. Uh, airline fares are designed based on you know, a certain percentage of the seats on the plane being filled um, and you know just from a mathematical perspective in economy class the middle seat accounts for uh, you know a, a third of the seats that are available so 33 percent of the seats in economy class are are middle seats 66 percent are obviously aisle or window seats um, so the the financial impact of that um you know it doesn't mean that your fares will have to be 33 percent higher to to account for seats being left empty purposely uh i've even seen some potential new seat designs you know they have seats with you know plastic around the head to prevent uh direct breath uh, or uh you know uh, breathing or airspace contact between the, the passengers i've seen some innovative designs where the island window seats are facing forward, and the center seats are facing to the rear of the plane. Uh, you know, to, to maximize sort of a separation. Uh, obviously, any of those would be extremely costly for a, an airline to retrofit a plane. You know, you look at any of the major carriers in the U.S., and they have a fleet of 300 to, you know, 500 airplanes. So to retrofit each of, you know, several hundred airplane fleet with brand new seats, and then essentially just discard the seats that you have you know, already purchased, is obviously gonna be very expensive. Uh, so at some point that will have to be passed to the customer. Or uh, the alternative is at some point, do the restrictions or guidance uh, uh, become more relaxed? And we go back to essentially the way things used to be. Um, I don't know if they're, Uh, is a definitive answer now. I think uh, there's still a lot of study going on as far as the disease itself, how it transmits, how that can be mitigated, and I think the results of that are obviously going to play a huge impact on what the travel industry does, how airlines uh, move forward, you know, long term. So, Let's say we, we exit the pandemic, it's finally uh, eradicated at some point uh, or, or uh, you know, it does become seasonal like other diseases, you know, how will we deal with it each time it comes back or how will we deal with the next uh, significant disease that comes along, you know, hopefully it will be many, many years away. Um, but I think there's a lot of uncertainty as to what the correct way to do it uh, will be and I think there is certainly a lot of room for input you know the medical community is certainly being called upon to give their uh, expertise in the area obviously governmental authorities are relying on that to make regulation and then the airlines hotel companies cruise lines etc are all complying with those regulations um, but I, I think travel, you know, for the short term will certainly change how it changes long term, I think still remains to be seen. But um, it will be uh, it, it will certainly look different for some time.
1: Yeah, for sure. It, things are gonna be very interesting. Um, and we'll, we'll just have to kind of wait and see, I think, in, in some aspects. But Tim, it's been so great to have you on the podcast. I got to ask you our favorite question. If, if you had to leave one takeaway or piece of advice for our listeners on you know, the future of corporate travel, what would that be?
2: I think it would again be to reiterate um, uh, Reggie's uh, underlying uh, opinion about uh, us as the human species. I completely again agree with his uh, comments that uh, we as humans thrive interacting with each other. And I think for corporate travel uh, that really is what's in the back of all of our mind. I've spoken with many of my colleagues, you know, the manage manager of corporate travel at other companies, and we all know that travel will return at some point. How it looks, uh, how soon it returns, how large of a program will return compared to what it was prior to COVID nineteen. Uh, all of that, obviously, is still up for debate, or the jury is out on that. But I think, at the end of the day. Uh, whether it's meetings and events or corporate travel, uh, there is still significant value for in-person communication, in-person meeting. Um, I I think, uh, you know, obviously the different web products for meetings have served their purpose. They've done very well. We've obviously stayed in touch. You know, all of the companies of the world have stayed in touch during this process. And some companies might adopt that permanently. But I think a majority of companies globally are going to want to resume uh, in-person meetings because I think there is a level of camaraderie, a level of uh, improved efficiency by having face-to-face communication. Uh, I, I think some of the cultural norms, I think, would be very difficult to change it. I think that's what's powering many people's desire to get back to travel, whether it's for leisure or business purposes is we've been trained our whole life that the best way to communicate amongst each other is in person. You know, obviously we can, we can make do with an internet meeting, but you know, the, the culture in business has always been, you know, for that, that big deal, you want to close to go in person, uh, you know, have, uh, you know, potentially uh, lunch with a client or with a vendor or with a prospect, uh, I think those things will return. They'll obviously need to be modified for some period of time, but I think our, our culture and our habits, you know, are going to really want those to return. I don't think we will, I think we'll be creative in ways we can get back to those things, but I don't think we will want those pieces of our culture to die as a result of the, of the pandemic. You know, we've had many other things that have impacted uh, travel and meetings in the past, and we've always found a way to come back. And I don't think this will be any different. I think it certainly is more challenging and potentially, you know, as we've talked about, will be a phased in approach. So I think there's going to be you know, some periods that it's not going to be as comfortable as it normally uh, is or was. But I think at some point, there's a desire in most of us, if not all of us, to get back to meeting with others in person, uh, whether it's one-on-one or with large uh, meetings or conventions.
1: Tim, thank you so much for your insights and predictions. This has been so great to have you on the podcast. Wow, what a great conversation with Tim. It's so interesting to hear how travel is gonna evolve and be reshaped just around the corner.
0: I totally agree. And I have to say, I was really happy to hear that Hawaii might experience a renaissance in the coming months. I'm in desperate need of a tan and cannot wait till things start to open.
1: You and me both, Brooke. (laughs) Well, to get more episodes and exclusive content, head on over to cvent.com slash podcast. You can check out the episode description for a link to additional resources. And if anyone out there has some insights into the future of the industry, please let us know by emailing us at podcast at CVent.com. We would love to have you on the show.
0: Before you guys know it, we'll have another great episode. So we'll talk to you then. Bye.
1: Bye.